Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined each and every week, of course, with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And this week, we invited back our good friend and Bible teacher, Tracy Rogers. Hello, friends. Hi, Mo. Hi, Hi Mo. Who, who else says hello, friends? Hello, friends. Jim Nance. Jim Nance. Mr. Rogers watch, is who I was going to go with. Well, mm. CBS Sports. If you watch golf, if you watch <laughs> the Final Four. Jim Nance always says, hello, friends. Hello, friends. It's the Masters. It's the Masters. I never feel more emasculated than when having a conversation about sports. I didn't even Tracy know who that drops is. you completely yeah, yeah. all I'm a there. big sports yeah. fan. Yeah. No, that's why Tracy's I'm, here. When I'm not listening to sermons or reading the Bible, I'm, I'm watching sports and listening to sports talk radio. This so. is why we get along so much. Yes, yes. You and my wife. Like the, my, I have made my wife so lonely. Well, for many reasons. But one of the reasons... Is that she loves sports too, and I literally would rather claw my own eyes out than I don't understand it. I don't know what's happening. Oh, anyway, so we're picking up from last Sunday when we dove into chapter six in our sermon series, "The Big Reveal," and it's uh, all about seals oh, and horses yeah. and such. And we're not talking about like seals that you find in the ocean. No, we're talking about like seals that that you like put together a scroll that you stamp a scroll that kind of locks it in. And horses that are actual horses, or maybe, or maybe they're symbolic. We're going to talk about that today. Yeah, I mean, that, I don't know. You know, I, I felt like we were drawing straws for had to, to hit Revelation 6, and I got the short one. But, and not because I'm scared of it, it's just this is some intense stuff. Uh, when you read this, I, a 10 year old Darren that would read this under the covers uh, with, a, with a flashlight was a true story. Like, I was fascinated by it, but I wasn't trying to understand it where I was going to have to then communicate it. And uh, and yet at the same time, one of the things that's important to me is that none of this stuff uh, does not fit in the Bible. Um, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit as well. And I think, I think, even what I was feeling last week, is part of what I think the enemy's design would be is that this is a hard book to understand, that this is intense and it's too much because it's the only Bible, the book in the Bible that says, look, 66 books and only one of them has the audacity to claim a blessing for who read, hear, keep its words, and it's this book. So I say that to say it was definitely uh, an intense study, but it's a critical study because the thing I love about Jesus is that hope in Jesus does not involve putting your head in the sand. That's just called denial. Uh, that doesn't do anything. Uh, but we get to see the truth and the love in it. And what I was so taken by is the hope that I feel knowing that this is all under God's uh, control. And as we're looking at that, like we this this week, uh, all over the internet was a question of, uh, is it the end times? And by the way, when people say, is it the end times? What they're actually, I think, referring to mostly is, is this, Revelation 6, or Matthew 24, 25, or Joel, or Isaiah. Like, this is what they're talking about specifically. And one of the things happened, Tracy, this week was Israel announces a deal with uh, UAE. And almost immediately, people were saying, oh, is this it? Is that a thing? Is this a sign? Should we be, you know? And of course, there's a lot of opinions about that. But like, what do you think, Tracy? So it's true. Israel this week, there's a big deal. I don't know if people really understand how big of a deal this is. That Israel has cut a deal with UAE. Is that a sign? Is this it? Is that are we going? We get our rapture shoes on? Right. It it looks like it, doesn't it? Um, the first seal is the revealing of the Antichrist. But what we have to remember is John in his letter, in his second letter, says in uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. So we have to remember that Satan doesn't know everything. 
only the father knows when the end time is coming. And so Satan has to continually be setting up an antichrist. So if we have that in mind, that there's going to always be someone who could be an antichrist in our midst, there's always going to be that first seal or what looks like the first seal in our midst, then certainly we can't be surprised when something that looks like the second seal is in our midst, when there is um, wars and killing. And when we see something um, like inflation happen, all of these things that look like the seals just are going to happen because this is humanity and we can't be surprised. It's not until we get to that sixth seal yeah. that we recognize this truly is indeed the end of it. Yeah. I was. I loved what uh, Donna Van Leer wrote as when she spoke of this specifically, Israel and UAE. Um, she, like us, we're seeing online people asking the question and, you know, people asking Donna, what does she think? And she says, this one specifically is not the biblical Daniel 9 covenant that Antichrist makes with Israel. The word, quote, confirm, unquote, uh, to confirm a covenant in Daniel 9 passage actually means to strengthen. So that means that whatever it is, there's a covenant already in place that's being strengthened. And so if you put that in line with it, then that's probably, we don't, it's not like, okay, we just began a seven-year journey. Um, but I would say that uh, unprecedented, uh, just last March when I was there, Saudi Arabia and Israel for the first time have begun to normalize relations as well. There, I don't think there's been an official treaty, but there were uh, flights for the first time opened up between the Saudi kingdom and Tel Aviv. And that was like, un that's unprecedented. And, and there's a lot of reasons potentially why, not the least of which is that the friend of my, wait, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And so Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran are not exactly uh, friends right now. In fact, the stuff that's happening in Yemen that's affecting Saudi Arabia, that's all being funded by Iran. So for Saudi Arabia to make a deal with Israel is actually in their interest because it, uh, Iran hates Israel as well. All of that stuff makes sense on paper. And if anything, it does set a precedent for a peace deal that will at some point. Uh, but I, I agree. I don't think it's the one. I think that it, the whatever this one is, it's a start, but whatever is happening here that'll be confirmed with them, um, it's going to have to be something that Iran, which hates Saudi Arabia, could agree with, along with the Kurds who hate Syria and Turkey. Like somehow all of those, like that's how miraculous that covenant is going to have to be. That literally five, six countries, five, six people groups, right? Not all of them Arabs. We, we call them Arabs, but they're, they're not, not all of them, you know. Persians and Ottomans, uh, literally, they're all going to agree on something in a peace deal with Israel. That's a big deal. So no wonder, right, that the whole world would look upon that. And that actually brings us, and I guess we could start with that in, Re in Revelation 6. I mean, what we have saw is that here we are in heaven. The church is in heaven. I truly believe that. We're going to see in a second here that the, the man is appointed. Uh, this is the time of Jacob's wrath, but we know by 1 Thessalonians 5 that we're not appointed for wrath. So uh, one reason of a hundred, but I think that's a, one of the main most compelling reasons of why the church won't be here. We're in heaven, chapters you know 4 and 5. But on earth, these seals are beginning to be opened. This is the time of Jacob's wrath or Jacob's trouble, right? The, uh, which is Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Um, the time that Daniel 8, 9, 10 speaks of this time like never before or ever will be again. And by the way, the time that Jesus spoke of. I think it's important to say that. Uh, for those of you that say that revelation doesn't belong in the Bible, you have to say you don't have a revelation problem. I have a Jesus problem because Jesus said this and John was just clarifying it. But this first seal opens. Jesus is opening it. And verse 1, it says, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say like a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and there before me was a white horse and its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out 
as a conqueror bent on conquest. Tracy, we skimmed over that on Sunday, but what in the world does that mean? This is a world leader. This is someone who is coming with power. It's, we don't necessarily see a weapon. It's a bow. It just means strength. It's a crown, which means authority. And it says he's conquering, so he is ruling. Um, a lot of this has to be read with Daniel chapter 9, where we also learn about um, what, this, what this person looks like, what this Antichrist looks like. Um, but this, this is a leader. Yeah. And one of the things that we talked about on Sunday that probably uh, bears repeating, and it's why we're, we're going to do just five seals today, is that as each one of these seals is opened, it is a prophetic thing that's going to happen in the future. But each one of these literally just speaks of the logical conclusion of humans without God. Um, every great society from Alexander the Great to uh, Artaxerxes to, to the Roman Empire, Ottoman Empire, they all sort of follow this. And I might add, the United States, we're not immune to this. So we can think about history, but let's let history teach us that a world that rejects God says we want it our way. We want, as, the, as the, the, the Jews said to Jesus, we'll not have this man be our Lord. We won't have him be the Lord over us. And when that happens, that what you're, you're just required to do is you're going to have to find somebody. And we always turn to a political leader. And a political leader is always the same. They, they promise all these great things. And in the words of uh, some great wise man, that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And what starts with peace always ends in war. Always. Whether it's the Chaz compound. Mo, is the Chaz thing still happening up in Seattle? Do we know? No, it is. Actually, it's... Um, so in Seattle, it's calmed. It's calmed down immensely. It's enraged in Portland. And it's actually growing in Portland even more. I mean, it's it is probably the worst it's been in this entire time. It's not getting any media coverage, but I mean, there are there are protests, not even protests. There are rioting happening every single night in Portland. Go read about it. Go Google search it. It's unbelievable what's happening happening there. The anarchy that has set in. Um, and anarchy is it, right? Like that. What they would say they want, right, is because they're burning down courthouse. They want justice. They want, and literally the very thing that they're railing against, they're doing. I mean, I saw the footage of the uh, the truck driver that was kicked unconscious, like in the streets on like live on on air, and it's like, okay, that's not what you said you wanted. But when you come in saying we want peace. The thing that eventually you justify for your peace is that anybody who doesn't agree with your definition of peace in a fallen world, I'm going to have to go ahead and move you out of the way. As it we pertains to the seals, yeah. real quick, um, I want to ask a question of you two, a question that's been asked to me a couple of times since we started this, and that is, do you, is it a foregone conclusion or do we believe with certainty that these seals are indeed in order chronologically? I do. I believe that. Tracy, I don't I, know I believe you. they are too. I believe that the first seal is opened and then the second seal is opened, but it doesn't stop what was happening with the previous seals opening. So if you remember the, the plagues, um, God would bring about a plague and then it would end and then there would be another one. Mm -hmm. And I don't see the seals as the same way. I see that there's war and then there's the economic downturn but there's still war so yeah. i just see this as being a cumulative effect that's yeah. taking place yeah i think you're right and when you word it that way it really helps uh, to clarify it because it is uh, a, like a piling on and when i read these it literally is the logical conclusion like this is what you see in a society that rejects god that if you are coming in peace but eventually I'm going to have to say, but these people aren't listening to me, so I'm going to marginalize them. And I'm going to take, you know, whether that was in Croatia or the Ukraine 
or in Rwanda, whoever says I'm coming to save you, you have to deal with those who don't want you to be the one. And they always, 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 without any exception in history, it results in war, which is the second seal. This second seal, which is when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, verse three, come. And then another horse came out. He was a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And that, I mean, we weren't a country for a hundred years before we started shooting each other in America. We live in Tennessee, like Franklin, like a lot of blood was shed right where we are because of a war. And, you know, we've been around now for almost 250 years. Actually, in six years, it'll be the 250th of the United States. But we're not the first ones to come to this. I mean, the war to end all wars was 1917, right? And then, okay, well, that one didn't work. So we're going to call redo. And, you know, World War II happened. And obviously, you know, Korea, Vietnam, and everything in between. There's war is not the exception. It, it just is the rule in a Genesis three world. And if Antichrist, whoever he is, uh, rises, there's going to be people who were not interested in that. Uh, I, I believe people who uh, in our own society who are going to be remembering back to the things that they learned, <laughs> maybe even from today's podcast. And if, if, if you are here during that season, you're not going to want to you know, succumb to what he's saying. And there are certainly going to be countries that aren't going to be interested. If there's one thing we've seen right now in a global pandemic is the idea of global unity. Uh, that sounds really great on paper. But it's just not, in fact, if anything, what's happening right now in our world is a, a movement of nationalism, whether it's in Nepal, uh, India, India's version of Make India Great, again, has involved kicking out Compassion International, anything that has anything to do with any Christian influence, all kicked out um, because nationalists, they, they have their thing. So eventually, whoever this guy is and the armies that he is going to, to marshal together there will have to be war because there will be countries that are not interested in what he has to say. Uh, so the, the the war that will come from that is a result of a guy trying to do something, again, out of man's power, out of man's ability, without God. And in the Genesis 3 world, it's just war. And it's in the Genesis 3 world, I mean, it's just impossible decisions after impossible decisions. The the guy that invented napalm, by the way, I wish I could remember his name. Malcolm Gladwell spoke of him in his latest podcast. Uh, it did a four-part series on revisionist history. But at one point, they asked the guy about bombing uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which killed 200,000 people, which was this horrifying event. And you know they're kind of angry at him, and they're judging him. And his response was, yeah, we did. We killed 200,000 people, but we saved millions of people because of the war stopped because of it. And in the Genesis 3 world, if there's one thing that can define a Genesis 3 world, is we're full of impossible decisions. There is no such thing as a decision that doesn't have unintended consequences. There's no such thing as a choice that doesn't save one life and cost another. Even in our modern movement right now with this COVID pandemic, we are not saving lives, we're exchanging lives. We're trying to save lives here in America. And when this thing is all said and done, UN World Food Program, this is not some conspiracy theory thing. This is a genuine fact that literally right now, hundreds of thousands of children are starving right now. And when this is over, if we don't get our head out of our butts, tens of millions of children, just children alone are gonna die of starvation. That does not include diphtheria and malaria and all the, the uh, things that are happening across sub-Saharan Africa, because we're in the Genesis 3 world. There just is no such thing. And so when you think of this war, and which, by the way, I guess I'm kind of getting ahead because there's a little bit of that in the, in the, in the, in the fourth seal of that. But in the just war theory, you know, we know that this war is justified because of this. That's sort of where that's from. And it's just the way that you live in a Genesis 3 world. But then the next thing that you'd see in this kind of a situation is that, man, the economy for some people is going to collapse out from under him and the economy for other people going to be doing pretty good.
I feel like with the second seal, I just want to make like a finer point is it says he takes peace away. Mm. And so I think we might find ourselves just getting caught up in organized wars, like nations fighting nations, but peace is removed. So I think when we look at men slaying each other, this can be the very small personal conflict that's Mm. that we're seeing in in portland imagine that happening everywhere globally yeah right yeah that's an interesting nugget because if he removes peace who is he He is the prince of peace and again if we reject god we reject our our lives with him then we're technically we're rejecting peace because that's what he brings and yeah when you think of it in terms of even we've seen it in our own country it's happening around the world in many many places that yeah the war of countries but also the war with inside of the countries and at some point uh well let's well i'm getting ahead of myself because that, that takes us to that fourth uh, seal which is i looked uh so verse seven the lamb the fourth seal the voice of lightning and uh and this is it verse eight the death horse there was a horse before me who was a pale horse its rider was named Death, and Hades was followed close behind him. And they were given a th- uh, power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword. And this is interesting, because it is by sword, but to kill by famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. That spreads the bets all across. Like These guys have the power to use multiple ways to kill. And when you talk about famine... And plague, that's much of what I was just describing, that in a war-torn country, I mean, again, we're seeing it right now, uh, the, the border of Uganda and Sudan alone, and most people don't know this because it's, uh, they're just they're too busy talking about like the election in American papers, but there's a million refugees on the border of just Sudan and Uganda alone. That does not include the million refugees in Kurdistan or who have flooded into Lebanon from Syria. War causes crazy things to happen. It causes poverty. Did I skip the third seal, by the way? Yes. I just realized that because the poverty part. <laughs> well, look, that you're going to get your, okay. you're getting your money's worth out of this podcast. Or are they chronological? <laughs> <laughs> or are they chronological? <laughs> but you know what? I think they are chronological because the, the economic disaster is part of the thing that causes the scale of famine yeah. i think it's not just the war that's causing death it's also yeah when poverty. you take the bottom out of this and look i don't you know i'm not anti-billionaire i mean there's a couple of them i'm kind of anti but I, I, i'm not like a bernie bro like you know if you've done well financially that whatever but but when it talks about the this and the, the third seal here which is the financial re- like ruin of a country of the world and we've seen this in modern times zimbabwe uh, had a huge economic collapse, and there were there were photos online of people taking like wheelbarrows full of cash to buy of a loaf of bread. That's happening in Venezuela right now. Like that is a real economic crisis. Like in runaway inflation is is a huge part of it. And it says uh, verse six at the end. But don't damage the oil and the wine. And there are some commentators that would say that that speaks specifically of wealth, of the wealthy and the powerful. And man, if there's anything we've learned in America anyway, is that war is big business. Like there's a huge amount of money to be made in weaponry, in uh, just the services. I mean, there's just, it's, so those folks that are there that are the untouchables in that, like it's, you know, again, I don't want to create like a conspiracy theory or whatever, but at the same time, it's just a fact that people that are in that business are making enormous amounts of, of money in a war. And many of those wars are over oil. I mean, most wars, Well, there you go, Mo. Don't mess with the oil and the wine. <laughs> well, I mean, most yeah. wars are territorial over Oil pipelines, cutting through certain countries, making deals. I mean, look, that, you're so right, dude. Like the fact, like Russia is not building a port in Syria for funsies, you know. Correct. Like they did not cut a deal. Iran and China did not cut a deal just because they wanted to get on each other's Christmas cards list, right? Like that, the giant oil 
uh, pockets of the world are right there. Don't touch the oil. Huh. Mo, I love that you said that because I sort of read it with like biblical lens and I'm reading, you know, olive oil. That's exactly and, what I was doing. You know, I'm reading olive oil and wine. And I love that you you saw it as oil, like petroleum. Yeah, because it speaks to, a, 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 if we're talking in the, from an economic standpoint, the U.S. dollar, especially as it pertains to our oil reserves and purchases across the globe, like everything economically in this world truly does hinge on oil bucks. Like if you really study how finances work globally, it truly has everything to do with oil. It really does. And when you think about China, just China, look, if you're from China, we love you. Jesus loves you. Like he wants to save you as well. The government of China trying to satisfy and survive with 1.5 billion people, I think is the latest count. They have been on a tear investing in oil. Everywhere from Brazil, uh, they were the number one. Uh, I just may, pulled this up to make sure I was right. China leads investment for Middle East oil and gas projects worth $75 billion. That's just last like November. And what I've told you guys about in Uganda, the Chinese companies there, they're literally bulldozing a highway all the way from Kenya to the north, to the, uh, the, the park, the national park that we've been up there on the, on the Nile River. They built a bridge across the Nile River. Like in six months, they built a bridge that you could drive across. Like that literally wow. happened because there's oil. They are on it. So don't touch the oil is a fascinating idea there because it's certainly true in our current climate. And in a climate where, you know, the Bible actually will get there eventually, about a 200 million man army marching from the east across the you know, Pan-Asian highway. You know, here's the thing. People can talk about like that's, you know, maybe it's real, maybe it's metaphorical, whatever. But, you know, when John wrote these words, there weren't even 200 million people on the earth, right? Not only is there 200 million people on the earth right now, there's like 7.5 billion, 1.5 of them are in China. And there's a, easy to have a, 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 whether it's a literal 200 million man or not. And you can see without, without, without even having to think about it, you can see why they would want to march across the Middle East into Europe because the oil, like they and, have and to have it. Those that are, might be interested in looking this up more, or reading more about it, just um, and, and understand the, the connection between the U.S. dollar and petro or oil just search petrodollar and you'll have fun understanding how all that works now are you talking specifically about they have to convert to a u.s dollar before Absolutely. they purchase an oil yeah. Yeah. so petrodollars is based upon our american the american dollar which is how all oil is traded in right. the world so right now mexico wants to buy oil they've got to convert to u.s dollar and then the u.s dollar is what they go to the bank so and it's buy all based upon the u.s dollar all right. oil in the world and this deal that china just cut with Iran does not involve that. Like they have been systematically, in fact, using U.S. dollars to purchase assets. So like if you look at what they've done on the Brazil coast, like with building out an oil rigs down there, they did that with U.S. dollars, but it's money because we owe them. I mean, we owe them a lot of money. Like I don't even know what the monthly on that is. Like, I don't know, get, like, 90 days, same as cash on that. Like I don't know, right, right? What's the monthly? I don't even know how that works. But I know that uh, when you talk about that, like that does have a very biblical. Because again, we can talk about this. That this is you know these first five seals. You could literally look at every cycle of a great mighty empire in history and how it rises and how it falls and it always follows this. But there is coming a time, and we're going to get there to the sixth seal, where we finally get to the last cycle. And the last cycle is uh, one we haven't experienced yet. And, you know, it's possible that we're, whether our, and I say our culture, I, I'm not naive enough to, th I mean, I used to be naive enough, but I'm not naive enough to think that the United States is the center of all of this. I believe that, obviously, Israel is the centerpiece of all of this. But doesn't it feel like there are multiple empires right now, whether it's the Soviet Union or the United States or China, that are all kind of on the same cycle right now, like sort of a simultaneous rise? Uh, it's fascinating. Maybe there's some sort of a crescendo where all those nations will come to the end of their uh, simultaneous. Even the European Union right now, if you were to consider that one, I mean, you know, they're a few years older than we are, but man, they're in the same cycle of like debt 
and war inside and disaster. And so, uh, so the third four, the, the first four seals are represented by the four horses. So another question for you guys, I've never asked this, so I this might be a silly one, but each horse was given a color. Yeah. Why? So Ezekiel actually refers to these, uh, horses. Um, specifically refers to them by color. I think it's Ezekiel. I'm kind of shooting my mouth off right now. Mo, this is one of the, uh, this is like the interviewing 101. Like you never ask a question. You don't know the answer to. Do you guys remember when I asked the question of a guy on a Sunday morning about whether marijuana should be legalized? (laughs) Right. (laughs) He did not give you the answer you expected. (laughs) It's a guy that does like, uh, he, he actually does drug have rehab for, so I'm, I'm getting ready to set up the question. Then the question is, do you think marijuana should be legalized? Because if anybody I've asked in rehab will say, yeah, absolutely should be illegal. It absolutely was my gateway. It was my... So I sort of laid out that question here to our friend. And I'm not going to give his name because I don't have any permission. But I mean, on a Sunday morning, I say that. He went for it. He went for it. I'm like, I'm going to get fired. I did not know the answer to that question. I know better. I just think it's so interesting because John is so descriptive through this whole thing. And even, you know, in describing the throne and what he's seeing, he's using colors and descriptions of rainbows and emeralds and all these things. So everything's just so descriptive. And when he gets to the horses... It's again like descriptive to the color of the horse, and just wondering yeah, you know, how symbolic some of those color assignments are. So the colors themselves do speak of things in the Old Testament, like the colors themselves. Um, and Ze- it's Zechariah, not Ezekiel. Zechariah one verse eight, and Zechariah six verses one through eight. He refer- uh, refers to horses, and they're red and black and white. I think. I think in the 61 through 8 is where you get the, the pale horse. But the idea of the horse themselves does. So like, you know, uh, the pale horse speaks of death. If you've seen somebody who's dead, you're like, oh, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Red always speaks of war. Uh, white actually speaks of like uh, of pow- like what peace, right? Isn't that what the white Yeah, are? I think that's what's interesting about yeah. the first seal being the white horse is it. you think it's the good guy. Who's coming on the scene? Yeah, yeah. You know, hey, look to me. I can save you. Like what you're saying, how everyone comes into political power. Like I can help you, and he presents himself that way. Yeah, with a white horse. With a, a little, white horse. And I think it's Revelation. Uh, I don't remember. It's like 19 or somewhere where G, when Jesus appears and he'll be on a white horse. But we know that this guy's not Jesus just because of the company he keeps. Like you know, Jesus is not coming with a can of uh, a pale horse and war. You know, the man killing each other. I mean, he's. He's and his he's coming not with a bow uh, that doesn't have weapons. He's coming with a sword uh, that is very sharp and very ready to go. But yeah, those four horsemen and they've become legend right over the years. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, like they've become yes. like right. ubiquitous oh, yeah. with American culture. And I yeah. guess without trying to like explain it, um, my first the first place I land is John isn't telling us something that we haven't seen before. So because there were horses before, we just see horses again. It's just, it's not anything new or different. And in Zechariah chapter one, it says the horsemen returned after patrolling the earth. And it's like, are they still doing that? Are there horses out metaphorically, spiritually, like patrolling the earth and reporting back? Like, that, Interesting, yeah. I just love to think about things like yeah. that. And look, I'm a guy. I mean, I'm a full-figured man, you know. So my horses are a little more disappointed when they see me coming. But I'm a horse guy. Like I love horses, and for sure, the Jewish people when they saw Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on a not only a donkey but a, a colt, which if you're not around horses much or donkeys. You may not even really think about it, but donkeys in general, they're not that big. Like I ride a donkey and like my feet drag the ground. So a foal of a donkey, like his, like I bet his knees were dragging. It would have literally looked like a guy that got on the ride down at the grocery store where they tie the donkey up and make him go in a circle. He could not have been any under more underwhelming coming into Jerusalem because they were looking for the guy on a white horse. And so... The promise here even of what John is saying 
And by the way, like maybe that's a little bit of what when the, the deception is specifically of the Jewish people who are still waiting for Messiah, waiting for him on a white horse. One of the things in the imagery here is how he's going to deceive uh, the people of Israel for those first three and a half years of it's everything we thought he was going to be. And if we remember in the Old Testament, God told his people, don't trust in horses. Don't, uh, don't uh, find alliances with other nations and use their uh, horses in your battles. So again, it feels like um, when you trust in horses, hey, this is what the horses are bringing. This is what comes when you start to trust in, right. in other people, other nations, and not God. Yeah. That's good. Gosh, and boy, is that a, oh my gosh, that's like a lesson for all of us because I, I've trusted in the horse of, uh, of my job. I've trusted the, the horse of my relationships. And, and I don't know if you've ever been thrown from a horse. Have you ever been thrown from a horse, Tracy? Have I've never know? ridden a horse. Okay, Wait, now what? that we're going to have to fix. All right. Newsflash. This, just, this could be the next episode, like Tracy on horseback. We'll do a live I never have. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not horse afraid. Trail. I yeah. just never well, had the opportunity. A, yeah, you don't have to tell me you're not afraid. Like That, that would be the least of my concerns with you. But, uh, this will be fun. Yeah, we'll get her out on a horse. Like I've, you know, having never, I mean, I've been thrown from a few horses in my life. That's one of the things. If you've ridden, you're going to get thrown at some point. But the thing about the, the the imagery of horses here is they do speak of of war in in that culture. They're, you know, for here, they're they're pasture candy. We live in Williamson County. You know, people spent twenty thousand dollars on horses, <laughs> and I can't tell the just deal. to look at them. just to look at them. Um, and, you know, I know you love him, whatever, but like I got mine on Craigslist for like 500 bucks and he was great. His name was Brutus and, you know, I would have ridden him into battle anywhere, but, but that they weren't pasture candy. These were machines of war for them. This was technology, uh, on a, on a grand scale for them. And so to see, you know, the horseman of death, the horseman of an economic, you know, apocalypse, like, that's the language of war on your economy, war on your soul, war on your society. And then, you know, we get to this, uh, I guess we kind of did the fourth seal. Do I need to do that again? Do we, I mean, the, the plague, the, you know what I am? Because here's the thing, the, the, the death and the plague, um, the, the pale horse, this death horse, what we've seen right now, because one of the questions, of course, is uh, that I've heard anyway, is, is the pandemic, is this the end? And I would say, I don't think so, because, I mean, this is a pandemic that, I mean, it has killed, in our country, it's killed 170,000 people. Nothing to sneeze at. Probably important to mention that there were some political leaders that had they have actually not put COVID-positive patients in long-term nursing facilities, that 55,000 to 60,000 of those people would still be alive. So was it the virus that killed them, or was it the policies? We'll let history judge that but when you talk about plagues killing people i mean i've been in haiti when cholera has broken out and there are plagues that when they hit that they're not killing a fraction of a percentage of the people they're killing 10 and 15 percent and this kind of so i don't think that this plague pandemic is part of this revelation six thing either um I think that if nothing else, this is a reminder that, look, here's this pandemic with this virus that's going to kill less than 1% of the people that it infects, and in, some, in most cases, far less than 1%. And your best attempt at mankind is to kill 30 million children of starvation in order to stop this virus. Like, that's not an insult against the people of, that are in charge, other than just say, that's just the way that worked. Like, your policy, your science, that's what's happening with it. This kind of a plague, a, four, a fourth of the earth, okay, that's a plague. That's a pandemic, famine, uh, plague, wild beasts of the earth. Now, there are actually those who, Chuck Missler, Chuck Smith, they look at that word wild beast, and they say that that means, um, it doesn't have to mean like a giant beast. It could mean uh, microscopic. And what we learn about uh, viruses is these things are alive. They are beasts. They're just microscopic. And, you know, quote Bill Gates, quote Anthony Fauci, you won't hear me do that very often, but that's what they're saying. We've been so worried about the nuclear war that we have not been aware of the real danger to society, which is 
what's happening, you know, right now and on a, on a pandemic level, that is, and by the way, when you get into war and what's what's happening right now, because they can't get to sub-Saharan Africa specifically, they're not vaccinating against diphtheria. They're not vaccinating against measles and polio. And this is, you, can, you don't have to look very far. You probably have to look in Europe because American papers aren't going to cover this. But in European papers, they're covering the fact that just that alone is going to kill millions of people. Uh, diseases that we had not eradicated, but were well under control. And so when you see this, the plague, that it, it, it isn't now, but you can see how quickly a fourth, uh, maybe to put it differently, when man is saying, I'm not going to trust God, but I'm going to trust science, quote unquote, to save me. There are some things right now, a lot of things that science has proven that it cannot fix. And if science is the God, then death is your reward uh, with that. A, a, a fourth of, of humanity. And I agree with you, Darren. Yeah. I, I, I don't think this um, pandemic is anything close to what we see in this seal, but I think it has opened people's eyes to how something can spread across the globe, how um, a fourth of the population, it could impact all of us. Yeah. It's just opened our eyes to how small the world is, how connected we are, and how that's good for some things, but then yeah, at this time, it's, it's how it's spreading death. Yeah. The numbers from the 1918 flu pandemic, the, you know, 40% of the people that were hospitalized died. Mm. Like th those are like unimaginable numbers. In fact, there was, um, I'm about to say something that I can't back up because I can't remember, but it's out there. This is totally Google information, but so many people died during uh, Alexander, the, no, Genghis Khan, I'm sorry during Genghis Khan's reign, okay, of death and sword or whatever, 10% of the Earth's population, so much that it actually changed the carbon footprint of the Earth from it. Like it changed the way that our society was unfolding and what that would because of that was so many people. Yeah. My point being that we've seen a lot of people uh, die in this last year. I mean, 300,000 are going to die from malaria this year. Half a million are going to die from diarrhea literally I can go to my cabinet right now and take an emodium and you know, it might be an uncomfortable, somewhat loud uh, night, but, but I'm going to be okay. And children, they don't in sub-Saharan Africa, they get diarrhea and they're either going to get better or they're going to die. That's literally their two options. And so we've controlled some of that because of our ability to bring medications and stuff. But when you take all of that out of there, the amount of death that that would cause would be literally unimaginable. And it brings me to the fifth seal because, you know, one of the things that I'm intrigued by uh, of everything I'm talking about of the bad news right now, uh, I've traveled the world. Um, I've been to some pretty remote places. And one thing that I've seen almost everywhere I go are Jesus people bringing medication, Jesus people bringing healing Jesus people bringing peace and food and clothing and all those, and they're everywhere. I'm sure there are atheists out there, so I don't mean to disrespect if you're an atheist listening to this, but I just haven't seen you yet. Maybe I'm just not in the right part of West Africa. I just haven't seen you. But with that in mind, in a world that rejects God, they're rejecting his people as well. And Jesus said that. They hated me. They're going to hate you. And on paper, it doesn't make any sense at all to, uh, you can say whatever you want about the political affiliations, even in our own country of someone like Franklin Graham. But the guy, at enormous expense, sets up a hospital in New York at no expense to the government, which parenthetically wasn't needed, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, no charge, you could... And he's castigated by media, by social media, by, because for crazy reasons. But at the end of the day, it's because he's a Christian. There was an episode of uh, the, the TV show Silicon Valley on uh, HBO. I do not recommend it. I only watched it for a little bit because I used to do some work in Silicon Valley. But the episode was, there was a joke in the episode that it was actually more dangerous 
to come, quote unquote, come out as a Christian in Silicon Valley, right? It was like they were doing a, a little bit of a spoof on how dangerous it is for uh, how, how it used to be for homosexuals to come out of the closet and how they were castigated and marginalized. And, and they made this giant satire over it about how, oh, you can't tell them you're a Christian. You can't. And it's ha, ha, ha. And they're mocking and whatever. But I'm like, that's actually really true. The reason that satire is kind of funny is that in Silicon Valley right now, where these big tech companies are, if you're a Christian, you are marginalized. There's just no question. Like that just is what it is. And Jesus said, they're going to hate you because they hated me. And in a society that hates God, they're going to hate his followers. And right here, the, the martyrs, like this, this fifth seal is a uh, natural cycle of a civilization. Uh, we, taught, we see it in our country. We were founded imperfectly, but with Christian values, Judeo-Christian values, like the, the idea of women's rights, the idea of human rights. Those are called Judeo-Christian values because they are Judeo-Christian values. And we're hated, roundly hated. And what happens in this time of great tribulation on the earth is that the martyrs, it's still happening, and it's actually on steroids. And it says in verse 9 that when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters were killed, just as they had been. Tracy, you were talking a little bit earlier that, like, you know, part of, like, one of the, like, big news for us in America is that anybody would be required to suffer on behalf of Jesus. Like, that that's kind of brand new information for us. Right. It... It's actually almost like a litmus test of your Christianity is, are you suffering? Are you feeling persecuted? Are you finding yourself um, disagreeing with more of the things around you than agreeing with them? Because we are to be distinctly different because we're not of this world. We're citizens uh, of, a, of heaven and I should look different than what's happening around me. I should disagree with decisions that are going on around me. And I shouldn't be surprised when folks are disagreeing with me and, and, and we're just looking at something and seeing it completely different. That's... It, it, it never, maybe it's because, blame it on social media, blame it on just the way the culture has changed. But, you know, there are things that are very biblical, uh, very, very much, and by the way, not just b biblical, but just very com like good old common sense biblical information. That before we could have a conversation and say, okay, well, you know, you, you you've choose this, but we really believe that, and you could have that conversation, but that's long gone now. Um, to to the point, I mean, one of the reasons why we did not take the PPP loan from the federal government. Was I just didn't want the government, our elders, this was unanimous, like it wasn't even like a debate to be able to say, okay, well, you have these three or four tenets of faith that we're going to need you to back off of, or we can't uh, give you the grant and you're going to have to pay all this money back. And there are just certain simple things in our belief. You know, I believe that life begins in the womb. I just do. I can't imagine a world in which I mean, just in last week, Nebraska, uh, God bless the motherland, uh, passed a law making it illegal for dismemberment abortion. And I'm thinking, that had to be a law? Like, we needed to put a law that you can't pull a baby's arms off? Like, I don't, that's madness. But me saying that out loud in a political situation right now is actually considered horrible and, you know, and I could go on with many of the beliefs in it, but my point is, is that, I don't know, maybe it's uh, the way our society was, we were raised, but the idea that if someone got mad at me, then, oh, I must have said something wrong and I have to change it to, so that they're not mad. So in other words, 
uh, you know, tolerance became me saying, changing so that you would agree with me and that you would like me instead of tolerance of being of, hey, you know, Tracy believes this and I believe that and we'll tolerate each other's beliefs. That's long gone in our culture. And again, as a civilization goes, and this is happening right now in, in Nepal, it's, a, it's happening in huge numbers in China. Uh, it's happening, of course, across the Middle East. That's not like a news flash for anybody as far as the marginalization, the oppression. You know, even to the point right now when we send aid to these countries, one of the reasons we send aid to Middle Eastern countries for like uh, food and supplies is that the aid that's sent there by U.S. aid is distributed by local officials who are mostly Muslim and will absolutely not serve uh, Christians. They will absolutely leave them out of the distribution of it because they're Christians. That's happening in Pakistan, uh, happening Asia, all over. That's part of what it is in a society that would reject God, is that they're going to reject us. And the sooner we come to grips with that in America, uh, I think the more effective we're going to be as a church. Because we're going to stop trying to pander to if I just say this, then they'll like me. No, if you follow Jesus, they're not going to. If we, it's the sooner I come to that, uh, the, the, I think the more impacting we're going to be in the world to be able to um, take it and say, hey, you know what? They hated me. They're going to hate you. And for our kids, I mean, Mo, you're raising a couple of young men. And Tracy, obviously, you're raising some you know, young teenagers too. I mean, what's, what's it feeling like for them right now growing up in a secular school, secular world. I mean, they're kind of odd man out. Even in Williamson County, they're kind of odd man out. Yeah, you know, in elementary school, it every you know, all their little buddies are, you know, Christians and they go to church, right? Like, at least like, here in the Bible Belt, everybody says they're a Christian. Everybody kind of goes to church or says they go to church or what have you. And I remember that being kind of the case for their little friends that they met in elementary school. But as they would get older... You know, especially when they got to high school, there was dividing lines drawn. And then for sure, both of my boys were on the football team. For sure, those lines were drawn in the locker room. Oh, yeah. Right. Sense. In terms of just decision making, things that they were saying and doing. Um, and, and so, you know, they had to really look inside themselves and figure out what they believed and why they believed it. Um and that's, I mean, that's that's a big deal for a 15, 16-year-old, you know, um, to really galvanize their faith enough to be bold and bold in their faith in, in a football locker room. But thankfully, what they found is the more that they held on to their faith and vocalized it and stood up for their faith, the more they became respected. And, you know, what was maybe cool and funny for somebody to say, um, you know, beforehand— they would reserve, you know, folks would reserve their, what they would say or hold their tongue around, you know, maybe some of the other believers. And what was really cool is we ended up growing into a Bible study that we had with about 24 football players. Yeah, that was great. I remember you it did It was really that. cool. And we baptized like seven of them in our pool in our backyard one, one night. <laughs> awesome. And so it's just the power of your faith. But yeah, but you know, again, in this town, it, it can feel like a bubble, but even still, I mean, our faith is being tested all the time, whether we realize it or not, and especially at that age, especially in high school. My boys, my oldest is 19, and um, the other one is 17, and they have pretty strong convictions, and they've they've had a lot of courage about their convictions. And um, so it, it seems like it's been the same thing you've seen. They've had friends who, who felt differently. They've been able to maintain friendships while having um, – agreeable disagreements but my daughter is 14 and i'm starting to see different things with her she's much more socially connected and you know she's just whatever's fun and and she's just enjoying her friends and so we're starting to have conversations about what the bible says and what that means in real life like things things that we read and we teach i'm having to show her this is how that looks living it out and I can see her her wheels turning like, oh, and she's starting to recognize she believes different things than her friends do. Mm. So 
we're we're beginning a really interesting journey. She's starting high school, and so I'm really I'm anxious to see how this goes now that I recognize the questions she's starting to have in her own faith walk. And then I'm also now like my little radar's up. Like yeah. I've got to start really seeing what she's listening to, who she's listening to, because she's she's looking for um, where she lands. And I'm just not she just doesn't seem to have the same courage of conviction that her mm. brothers did. Yeah, and I would say that you know my children have had varying degrees of the same. It's amazing how four kids can be raised in the same home and have four different you know reactions to uh, to their faith. Um, I would say this in the, in the final few minutes that we are here. We're we're not going to get to six or seven seal this week. Um, these first five man. Absolutely, every human history empire. This is what it's gone down as. But at some point, it's going to be the last one. At some point, and I would suggest, my opinion, we're closer than we've ever been before because we are at a point now where, for the first time in human history, we have weapons at people's disposal that have, that could destroy humanity. And to my knowledge, there's never been a weapon that's been created by man that has not eventually been used. And when you think about the rogue governments of Iran or whatever, like I don't want to create like a, my own scheme, but I'm just saying that, that this would be a good time. Like things are here now that, that require something for Jesus to, uh, to do. And I would end it with saying, though, that you don't want to be anywhere near this uh, and you don't have to be. I truly believe that First Thessalonians, Jesus has promised that he's going to come back and with a shout, he's going to take the church away we see that in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. He says, come up here and the song of the redeemed. And that's where we want to be during this time. And it's where you can be. And the way that you can be is the way that this chapter um, ends. We'll read it a little bit more next week. But that the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and everyone, both slave and free, the the, the inequity, all right, if you're looking for someone to, to give the equity between the rich and the poor, this is where it's coming because they're all hiding in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called, fallen us, hide us, uh, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. That's verses 15, 16, 17. And the gospel is so beautiful because the gospel tells us that it was Jesus who was hidden in a cave, dead. The, you know, the cave fell on him, so to speak. The rock fell on him so that we would not have to hide in a cave, that we would walk out of the cave with him alive and safe and in him. That the wrath of the lamb, and that's such an important thing because the idea of God being angry might sound harsh, but when you think of the things that he, literally right now, literally right now in China, millions and millions of people whose heads are being shaved and they're taken off to these concentration camps, this modern day version of a Holocaust. That's happening like right now. I'm angry about that. And to think that God would not be angry about it, I don't know how I could worship a God that wouldn't be angry about that. And so the question is, what does he do with that wrath? Because technically his wrath would be at all of us. You don't have to kill a, a, a Muslim in China to have sinned. I mean, we are the, the heart, the darkness goes through all of us. And so the way that we have, the way that we've been able to save, uh, to be saved from this is that he goes into this cave. And that's really the picture of baptism itself is I'm actually going into the cave, but back out again. I'm dead, buried, and resurrected to salvation. That's the promise of the gospel that if we'll trust in the work that he has done, not the work that I'm doing. The work that we do is, that's like the first five seals. That's the work that man can do. That is, whether it's in your personal life or in your political life or your nation life, that always ends the same way. And putting it in him means that I'm not going to be hiding in a cave. I'm actually not going to be hiding under a rock. I'm actually going to be standing on him, the rock of ages. And that's the gospel. Um, and I pray that you pray about that and think that through. Uh, you don't have to go through this. If, if time is as short as we think, I, I would encourage you to pray right where you are, uh, to turn your life over to Jesus, to trust in the work of Christ, 
and, and the gospel, that what, what he has done, that it is the work that he did, not the work that we do. It is the payment that he made. We just read that a couple chapters ago, that he paid a ransom for you with his blood. Would you receive that and pray for that? And if you would do that, I would love for you to email us, info at conduitchurch.com. And we have uh, some folks that would love to pray with you, love to meet you, love to pray with you wherever you are. I don't care if you're in Ghana or in Georgia, uh, not just the Russia one, not <laughs> this other one, whatever. That Jesus, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's those people that he has saved and there are the people that he wants to save and you just need to know which one you are. So I pray that you will find that peace um, and, and faith in, in him to not be here when this justice and this judgment comes upon the earth. Mo, how can uh, people get in touch with us this week? Conduitchurch.com. Um, it's the best way to stay uh, in the loop of everything that's happening with our church locally, locally and globally. And you can obviously find us on socials just by searching the word conduit. And if you are in the Nashville area, we would love to have you join us this Sunday, 8.30, 10. Don't come to the 10 a.m. service. It's full. But the, uh, 8.30, the 10 a.m. and the 11.30, you can find that at conduitchurch.com as well. Or if you want to watch online, if you're around the country, around the world, at 10 a.m. Central Time, we are live streaming our services as well. We'd love to have you join us. Tracy, thank you. Thank you. It was so great. So much wisdom Enjoyed as it. always. And Mo, thank you. Absolutely. And we will be back next week with this same trio, and we will get to the sixth and the seventh seal. It's amazing um, what, what we're going to learn in those coming weeks. But we thanks for your time today, and we hope to uh, see you next time.